And thank you, Pastor Drew, thanks. And thanks to Living Word for so many years of just great ministry in the gospel. Uh, As I often say, um, especially if you're new here, what you do right here locally is very, it's a, you have a disproportionate global footprint around the world. And in today's day and age, I often ask the question, uh, why, why do you care about people that you've never met? Why would you care about people that are in the forsaken areas all around the world? Forsaken because nobody else seems to really care that much, but apparently you do and you're making a difference. So I want to say thank you. Well, my story that I wanted to start with, uh, it picks up in Los Angeles in a uh, a little bit of a crazy neighborhood. And I'm with my daughter and we're in the street at about 1130 at night and there's a Bengali taxi driver and I'm not a loud person by nature. I'm not, I'm, um, I'm not, I'm just, I don't know, but I'm not overly loud and I'm not aggressive by nature either, but I find myself being really loud in the middle of the street, uncharacteristically loud, praying for a Bengali taxi driver. And I find myself saying, I bless you in the name of Jesus. As he's saying, oh yes, God, I bless your son. I bless your house. I bless you. And and I'm thinking to myself even, I mean, I've been a minister for a long time, but I even feel like, where is this coming from? This is like not the usual me. And um, and he's just so receiving this. Let me rewind the tape a little bit. We're at Los Angeles International Airport. We get into a taxi. There's a few extra of us. And so I get to sit in the front seat. We get, I get in and we get into the taxi of an angry man. He's angry and he's, while he's driving, he's watching, a, uh, he's watching some a press conference in another language, um, and <clears throat> it looks like it's something from uh, South Asia someplace, and he's angry. And usually, drivers are usually somewhat controlled around their passengers, <clears throat> but he's yelling. And then, because I'm sitting next to him, he's yelling at me. <laughs> and it's not getting any better. And finally, at a certain point, I hit this spot where I'm thinking, seriously thinking, should we just tell him to stop and maybe we just get out and get another taxi? Because it's uncomfortable. And, but along the way, you get the idea, because I don't understand any of this, that he's not mad at me, but he's just really upset. And then I get the idea of some of the reasons that he's upset. And, and I'm thinking, I could understand that you're upset. Um, and then along the way, a little further, um, things just slow down a little bit. And I can't remember at what point, but at some point along that way, when you're praying under your breath just a little bit, and at some point, it just comes out when I'm talking the name of Jesus. Just so subtly that I, that, that I follow Jesus. And then a little later, he talks and tells me that his son has a disability. 
and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then at some point, it all connects. And at some point, I just ask, could I pray for you? He tells me he's from Bangladesh. And I know my Bangladesh story. I've never been to Bangladesh before, but here's what I know is I know that it's on the label of a lot of my clothes. And I don't know if you pray for missions, but one of the greatest ways that you could pray for nations is you just read the labels on your clothes, see where they're from, and then pray for the country. Do you ever do that? It's a great way to pray for unreached people because a lot of times that's how you pray for them is just look at the label on your clothes and pray for that. I also know this, that Bangladesh is one of the poorest nations in the world. I also know it's the eighth or ninth most populated country in the world, geographically the size of the state of Iowa, and yet has more people than all of Russia. Did you know this? It's so overwhelming and it's so inaccessible in so many ways, so impoverished. We have a church movement there, but it's amongst the poorest of the poor. And so here I am in a car with a man from Bangladesh that God has brought to our land and he's driving the cab that I'm in. And so here I get a chance. And I get a chance just to bless him in the name of Jesus and to pray for him in Jesus' name and just to say a few words about Jesus to him. And then to pray for his son that he so vulnerably talks about for a while. We could go on and on. But something just sometimes comes over you. And this isn't because I'm a pastor or a minister. It's not because I'm the missions guy. It's because of this. It's because the name of Jesus. And it's because God loves people so much that he might just put them in your cab sometime. <laughs> and here's another crazy thought. You might be the very closest person or representation of Jesus Christ that somebody ever encounters in their entire life. Is that an exciting thought or a scary thought to you? <laughs> you might be it. Well, there's a lot going on these days, isn't there? <laughs> Would you put, the, put our, our Ukrainian announcement up there, uh, Colby? So we're certainly interceding for Ukraine these days in our larger Foursquare family and so many other churches. Of course, there's, there are believers, followers of Jesus in, in Ukraine and those that aren't. There are believers and followers of Jesus in churches in Russia. And, and, and people are praying over all of this. The, the beauty of being in a, a global movement that works so interdenominationally and amongst others is that uh, there's power in prayer when we pray together. And we're praying that somehow through all of this, so many things, that there'd be peace, that, that people would come to know the Savior in times like this. The verse that comes to mind for me, it's 1 Corinthians 12, 26, when he talks about the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, he says, as in a body, when one member suffers, we all suffer. And in individualist societies, sometimes that's hard to grasp, but somehow could we embrace the idea that we all suffer on this one because somebody's suffering. And then in our prayers that we could suffer with those that suffer. 
And it certainly then says when one is honored or when one, when someone, one member gets one in the win column, that we all win. Because while this suffering is going on, there are also victories that are going on around the world also that we could also celebrate in. So we continue in the middle of all of this somehow to pray for God's peace, God's mercy in the middle of this. I love being a part of a global movement and family so that we can interconnect together to do our best to help people in this time. Not just help our team, not just to help uh, Foursquare people, but really just to extend God's mercy throughout the land and throughout this situation in any way that we can. I know right away, and this is what I'd like to put this, if you'd put our verse, uh, our passage up for today. It's from Matthew 24. Um, let me maybe lay up to this a little bit. At the beginning of Matthew 24, this is a, an apocalyptic end times type of a passage because the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we have some questions for you. We have a question for you. Have you ever said this? You know, God, I've got some questions for you. <laughs> have you ever said that? And I feel like that's legit, right? I mean, we have questions for God. I just remember one time when I was thinking this, you know, God, I've got some questions for you. I felt like somehow in my spirit, God said, well, that's good because I've got some questions for you. <laughs> and at that moment, I thought, no, we're good. We're good. Let's just call it even. No questions. How's that? <laughs> but it was a legit question they had about when's the end going to come. And I think in times like this, People look to this particular passage that I, I didn't put uh, up here yet, but the, er, the passage before this, that it talks about the wars and the rumors of war. If you've uh, grown up around this passage in church, you know all this. Yeah, there's wars, there's earthquakes, which we've seen. There's wars, there's rumors of wars. So people say, it's gotta be the end. But I would like to turn us to this passage that we have up here. And it says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, this is actually picked up in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 to the church of Ephesus. You remember this? It says that you're going to lose your lampstand. You're going to lose your place of influence and your light in Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey near Izmir. It's only ruins these days. But it says you're going to lose it because you, you lost your first love. You let your love grow cold. Because lawlessness and hardness of heart, it just does that. In the midst of all of this, people that are known for love, the two great commandments, right? You lost it. And you turned it all into rules. You turned it into other stuff. And so this is his first admonition here is, don't let your love grow cold. Don't let your love for God, don't let your love for people grow cold in a time when everything's gonna push against it. I was even thinking that when, uh, when you read the verse from Isaiah, when it talked about the scroll, the scrolls that talk about love. And then I thought the word scroll means something else in our world today, doesn't it? The scroll is my Instagram feed. <laughs> and I thought, that scroll can ruin the love, can't it? Moving along. Um, 
I'm convicted. I don't know if you are, but, <laughs> but here's the verse, verse 14, uh, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end. So when people keep saying, ah, the end, it's coming, it's coming. Jesus says, nope, the gospel's gonna be proclaimed. And let me tell you this, countries like Bangladesh and so many others, there are still three billion, with a B, people that don't even have access to hear the name of Jesus in our world today. Did you know this? We were thinking, oh, I thought we almost got it done. There are still billions that live in unreached people groups that don't have access to the name of Jesus. This also uh, says that we're gonna have to have a, stra a strategy change if we're gonna reach people with the gospel. It is going to take the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Whole church, as in, we can't just have a few trained, skilled people and go, you guys go do that. I've got my life to live. It is gonna take uh, Bengali taxi drivers in other countries. It is going to take us going there, but it is gonna take a whole new approach because, and this is uh, from 2 Peter chapter three. It says, it's not that God doesn't want all of this to, uh, it, it, maybe in other words, God is long suffering wanting everyone to know, wanting everyone to have a chance to receive the good news. So this is our call as a church. And thankfully, it's not just on us. It's not just on America. There is a global church, the movement that you're a part of, just one movement in the body of Christ, Foursquare, a great one, but just one in the body of Christ. And we're in 150 countries now. And they all have Acts 1-8 in their Bible. And they're, they're also uh, looking at going, but it is gonna take all of us on mission together. And you are a big part of it. So um, this is my encouragement of, let's just take a look at a couple of exciting but challenging things that are going on. Um, I mentioned, uh, mentioned the church at Ephesus from Revelation chapter two, verse four. Um, that is from the modern day nation of Turkey, the seven churches of the book of Revelation. My wife Dawn and I, we were just in Turkey a couple months ago. Uh, could I, um, I think I have a good, here's a, a picture from that region of the world. And here's what's exciting is, because Turkey has been very, very hardened to the gospel. Modern day secular nation, but uh, of over 80 million people, there are uh, very, very few followers of Jesus. The Foursquare Church that we're a part of is the largest Protestant movement in the whole country. And in the last, in the last four years, um, our number of churches has doubled. This, this is incredible. When you think about your part in this, even when you contribute to missions, when you give financially and when you pray, that's what pushes this. 
Turkey is also the land of the refugee crisis. Think of Syrian refugee crisis. Remember, remember ISIS just a few years ago. Remember all of that. The refugee crisis that's created in, in Iraq and in Syria. And then you remember uh, names like Yat Cities and, and Kurds and other, these names that were, um, that we've heard about over the last few years. Many of them end up coming through Turkey or end up being refugees there. So through refugee centers, through uh, church outreaches, many of them, even while they're staying in a refugee center, one of my favorite refugee centers that we had, actually we had a place for disabled children. Imagine not only being a refugee, being totally displaced from your home, right where you're at, but having to move with your kids, um, not having a U-Haul, but actually just the back of a pickup or walking or whatever you had to do, but having disabled children, special needs kids, and then finding professionals that actually know how to help you care for them. And it was in that place, especially one group in particular, Yad Cities, that our leader there said, we don't know why, why it's just them. But when they stay in our refugee center, they have dreams about Jesus. <laughs> Can I just say that there are some things that just, they don't always make logical sense, but they make sense to God. And these, they dream about Jesus. And so now we have church movements amongst groups. So now all these different churches in Turkey, including, by the way, one in Antioch, the same city that's in your Bible. Isn't that exciting? That there, ha there has been so little there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And now all of a sudden, things are starting to, to happen. If you're wondering, do we have anything going on in countries with the last name Stan? for example, in, um, that we usually don't say on live stream. <laughs> so can we just go with that for right now because, uh, because we're on the internet? Um, so yes, we have things going on in countries with the last name Stan um, and in place cities with the first name Stan, like Stanwood, there's a great church over there, but uh, last name Stan also for countries. And yes, and a lot of it happens through places like Turkey where people are able to have great ministries, not only to the diaspora or moved in uh, people from there, but and then actually being able to minister out. So your participation in that through your prayers, through your giving and through your going when you wanna participate, that's what changes the world. And when we're all doing it together. So pretty exciting stuff. Um, uh, next one is uh, the Golden Triangle area I just wanted to share. The Golden Triangle is, is in an area of uh, Myanmar, uh, Burma area. Um, it's uh, Laos, it's uh, Northern Thailand, China. There's, um, it's, a, it's a pretty crazy area of the world. But uh, what's happened over there has made it very, very difficult with mil military rule in that area. Last time I was here, I mentioned one of our leaders that's there who has been repeatedly beaten, but he just keeps going back for more. Uh, in his mind and heart, it, the idea is that this is about the gospel of Jesus. And if it costs me physically to help more people meet Jesus and see the kingdom of God advance into a new area, then just let it happen and bring it on. Let's just get this over with because I'm going to bring the gospel to more people. So he just keeps on going. And 
people like that are those that inspire our lives and say, if you're going to do that, then I'm going with you. I'll do what I can. He's, um, he's Burmese or from Myanmar, and we just do what we can to help support. Um, and so um, this is one picture of that because it has been a very difficult place in, in that region. But even in midst of all of this, restricted access places where we can't get in, but others can, to places that are um, right now under military lockdown, other places that you can go into, but they're just not open to the gospel always. So uh, something else is going to have to break through. But uh, I have this next picture up here that I just brought just to say it's pretty cool because young and old, everybody needs Jesus. And guess what? God's still moving. God's Holy Spirit can touch hearts and lives, young and old. I love this to say, never give up on people because God's never going to give up. You just don't know what God's doing. The hardest of hard people in your own life or countries around the world, you just never know what God's up to. Could you say amen to that? That's why we just keep going. And when everybody else says, no, they're too far gone, you just go, I don't think God, I don't think God thinks that way. Uh, one other part of the world I'd like to talk about. This is, uh, this is in Africa. In particular, the DR Congo. This is a large nation in the center. And it has been pretty messy there for a long time. But in the capital, DR Congo, Kinshasa, for example, um, we don't know how big the church movement is in Kinshasa right now. But we think it's about 800 churches that have been planted over the last just couple of years in one big city. <clears throat> And when people say, you know, Christianity is shrinking, um, the shrinking around the world, they did not receive the memo on this. <laughs> it just keeps growing. Did you know that a hundred years ago <clears throat> that uh, Christianity was only, was less than 10% of the African population? It was predicted by, uh, by secularists, non-believers, and Christians alike that by the mid-century, by the 60s, and certainly by 2000, that Christianity would be eradicated and gone from the African continent, especially after World War II when all the colonial powers were gone. Basically, all the colonial powers were going to say, hey, we're going we're to uh, release your countries, you're going to lead your country. And essentially the thought was, hey, as soon as the colonials weren't there to protect people, from other religions and other things that, oh, they're all just going to go right back to what they were doing and somebody else is going to take it all over. But it actually went the other way. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? Now, the African continent, especially what's called sub-Sahara or south of the Sahara, it's majority Christian. And so now what we're doing is we still send workers to that area but what we really do is we're let, Africans are the ones that have the vision for Africa. They're coming together and saying, this is our continent. We're going with this. And then they're saying, hey, can you guys help us? And so basically we're like co-pilots on this thing now because they have this vision for doing this. It is so exciting. And yes, there are still wars, refugee crises. There are so many things going on, but they're taking this ownership for it that we're just loving to say, we want to be with you on this. From clean water initiatives to gospel church planning programs and all these different language groups. I'd love to talk more about this. Let me tell you one of the biggest keys to this is, is that 
The Bible is translated into their mother tongue, their native language. The name of God can be translated into the language that they speak. Just like in Acts chapter two, remember that day of Pentecost? They heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. And because of that, they feel like Jesus is among us, one of us, not just some foreign thing that's out there that's just yours. Do you believe that about your life? That Jesus is among us, that God lives not just out there and not even just Emmanuel, God with us, which is also true, but as Colossians says, because I think you're doing a series pretty soon, but says God in us, the hope of glory. This is the wonder. And so God, by his Holy Spirit, transforms Africa. But if you go north to the Sahara region, it's not so yet. So guess what all the Africans are doing? (laughs) They're saying, would you guys come with us and help us? So they're doing these projects like in a nation like Chad that is very restricted. So they do agro-gospel projects where we're doing farming and church planting all in the same 125 churches planted in just the last couple years, going for more. So now we're just combining all this together and um, it's pretty exciting stuff. You'd never know by listening to me, but it is exciting. (laughs) There's a lot of great causes that we can be involved in, uh, from clean water initiatives to refugees to some of the anti-trafficking things, even in Burundi, for example, where a lot of our outreach and discipleship is discipleship of children, helping children and their parents learn how to avoid being trafficked in the first place. Um, so, I mean, there's all these things, but, but let me say that what is at the center of that is that people need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. They need, because the gospel is what sets them free, and then all of this is a part of it together. That's why we call it the whole gospel, that that this is why we bring the gospel. It's why we plant churches or communities of faith. And you are a part of it. So thank you. Thank you for what you do. If you ever have questions about it, we're always happy to talk more about it and happy to be on mission together. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much for um, just for, yeah, your faithful, I would call it just total partnership in, um, in the gospel. Thank you for your fervent prayers, your generous giving, and your courageous going, putting your life into the offering plate. Well, I wanted to, um, I want to use my last few minutes with you to um, maybe to turn this to just a few uh, simple life hacks that we can learn from missionaries. I don't know if you know any crazy missionaries or not, but... um, um, my wife, Dawn, and I, we have uh, served in uh, other countries, and we have lived all of our lives around missionaries. And it's always fun just to pull, pull things that you can learn from missionaries. There's a lot, but I just wanted to pull three that I've learned that I wanted to share with you that I thought you would enjoy or that you would benefit from. Am I okay with that? So, um, uh, so here are a couple. First one, there are three. First one is the beauty of uh, praying, pray bold, simple, bold prayers. You don't have to be a missionary for this one, but this is one that I have learned from missionaries. 
simple, bold prayers. I was thinking of um, Matthew 14, 30. This is when Peter is walking on the water and suddenly it doesn't go well. (laughs) Remember that? So his prayer is, Lord, save me. (laughs) It's Isaiah chapter six, verse eight. When in the presence of God, by the way, a lot of great missions calling and calling in life in general happens in the presence of God. It happens in worship services. When I have big decisions in life, if I really am toiling over a decision in life, I, there's something about being in a worship service together around people. It's a, this is a great time to make decisions about your life. I don't know if you ever thought about that before, but you ought to just bring a notebook in sometime during worship. Or even if you got a few minutes to hang out, just hang out for the next one and just sit through worship with your notebook and just listen to the Lord during worship as you're singing with these great words up here. Isaiah 6, 8, God says, who will go for us? Who will we send? And then Isaiah's simple thing is, is he just steps up and says, I'm here, Lord, send me. The picture that I have is in elementary school, especially, but then also in junior high. You remember, in, you remember when you're picking teams? Remember like you're going to do like some playground pickup game or something like that? And you got the team captains out there and they're picking teams and you don't want to be picked last. And your friend's the captain and you just want to be on somebody's team. And so you wave your hand and you step up and you got that. Hey, pick me, pick me. And Isaiah was saying, God, pick me. Can I say this bold prayer? And I say it's bold because... It's kind of like saying, Lord, just would you just give me humility, Lord? <laughs> Lord, would you just put me in spots where you can use me? But could I just say, um, and I just was reminded of this last couple of days. Could I say, well, here's one of the oldest prayers in the history of the church that I want to just remind you of. It's this simple one that says, come Holy Spirit. Wherever you're at, Maybe you're just alone in your room. Maybe you're just in your car. Maybe you're in a really tough spot. You don't know what to do. Could you just pray one of the oldest prayers that's been around for a long time and just say, come Holy Spirit. Maybe I don't know what to do. My wife's prayer that I hear is, Jesus! <laughs> and sometimes if they don't know her, they're thinking, is, she, is Don swearing? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we know her. <laughs> She's calling out. I want to encourage you to pray simple, bold prayers. The next one, follow Jesus over your head and out of your league (laughs) to a place of dependency on God. Because where else do you think you're going to see a miracle? Do you really think that if you just put yourself someplace where it's comfortable and go, God, I got it here, (laughs) that you're going to see the miraculous happen? If you really want to see the stuff, if you really want to see God come through, then you're going to have to follow him. And if you really follow Jesus, 
really, really follow Jesus, where do you think he's going to lead you? (laughs) If you really follow the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord's going to lead you where? Over your head and out of your league. So that if God doesn't come through for you, you ain't going to make it. (laughs) That's where you're going to go. Then you get to see, wow, God is alive in my life. And guess what everybody else is around you is going to look and go, whoa, what is it with you? And finally, missionaries get this one. Live a life like it's not your own in a world that's not your home. See, when you live in other countries, there's always that sense that you're not from here. When we first moved to California years ago, my wife comes out of Vons. That's like the Safeway knockoff in California. And she comes out of Vons and there's this big Cadillac Eldorado. You remember those? <laughs> like with the eight foot doors on them. And as she comes out, there's that, this <clears throat> big eight foot long passenger door, driver's side door that goes flinging open right into our minivan. So she goes, across, she goes across the parking lot and there's this older guy with his head in his hands and he's a little angry at first, but he's just shaking his head. He's embarrassed and everything. And she's scraping paint off the side of our van from his car. And, um, and finally through their exchange of words of just uh, going through all this and he's just going, I'm so sorry. And she says, she says, you know what? It's okay. You can't take this stuff with you. And he says, as he looks up from his hands, he goes, you're not from around here, are you? (laughs) Living in California. I love the story because I think, shouldn't we all hear that every once in a while from somebody? Shouldn't we all hear, you're not from this planet, are you? Why in the world would you forgive those people? Don't you know what they've done? Why would you help them? Why would you be generous to those people? Why would you love those guys on the other side of the world? Why would you do that? To simply say, because Jesus loves them. Because, as Jesus said, remember, your citizenship, Philippians 3.20, your citizenship is where? is actually a heavenly citizenship now. Your passport isn't here any longer. This world is not your home. This is the message of John chapter 17, where he reminds us, he says that you are in this world, but not of it. And I kind of feel like sometimes that's easy to forget, isn't it? That when this is all said and done, this is no longer home. And so... It means, and even our lives, that they're not our own. It says that we're bought with the price, that we glorify God with our bodies. They're his. And when we can re-grab that, you know what? Life has a whole lot more peace to it and purpose. So it's just maybe remembering those things and living my life in the simple way. As a worship team comes up, let's close with a song just maybe remembering my purpose on this earth, to glorify God, to love God, to not let my love grow cold in a time when it's very, very easy to let it grow cold, isn't it? (laughs) So in our closing song today, just to let the fire get going again towards God,
towards others. I want to pray for you. Would you mind standing to your feet? Lord, as we, as we pray, first I just want to pray that old, simple, but bold prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. To us collectively, to the body of Christ throughout the nations, and then individually to each of us, right in our situations, right into all the burdens that we have and the things that are racing through our minds. Come, Holy Spirit. And then use each of us in the way that you have, uh, that you've called us in the mission of God, that every person that we encounter, somehow that we can help turn each of them a little bit closer to you. And Lord, help us that our love does not grow cold towards you or towards others, that you'd rekindle a fire in us to love in a day when it just seems like hearts are being hardened, that this gospel of the kingdom really would get out to everybody right here in our neighborhood and radiate out to the ends of the earth. Thank you for each person and thank you for living words.